0: Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 10. Let's share in God's good word together. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, and disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated.
1: Hi, we the mornings. I'm Nicole. This is my husband Adam, Abby, Will, and Jake. And this is where we sit on Sunday mornings. We just wanted to tell you a little bit why we are excited about the for the kids
2: so one reason i'm, I'm very excited about for the kids in our new facility is uh, a very fond memory i have from growing up um, when i was in uh, probably junior high and into early high school a friend of mine invited me to his church gym we would go there one night a week have a short uh, bible study and devotional and then uh, and then play ball for a couple hours it was it was a really great time for me Um, something that meant a lot, something that really uh, brought me to Christ. And um, I hope that we can do that for for this community. I hope that not only my kids, but other kids within the community can have that same experience. Um, Somebody had to make that sacrifice for me, and uh, I hope we can do that for others.
0: Awesome. I hope we can do that for others. Somebody sacrifice for you, um, and hopefully you can do that for another. The mornings normally sit right over there at the second service. And um, as someone who used to work in television, I can tell you to have three children look anywhere close to the camera for that long is a miracle. That was amazing. So uh, when you see Adam, he, he's hard to miss. He's about six-something, five, six. Um, uh, talk to him because uh, he is all about... Uh, This vision. Uh, Today, I want to talk to you about a vision for the kids. Over the next three weeks, uh, we're going to talk about our children's ministry, our youth ministry, why that's so important, uh, and where God is leading us as a church and how you can be a part of that. Um, And I I want to tie that to what Jesus, his relationship with children um, in particular, and, and what that looks like. And how we read the text about Jesus' relationship with children and youth. And and how we understand that today. Um, In some ways, it's fairly straightforward. In other ways, we might miss it completely. So let's go back to the scripture that we read just a moment ago. It says, People were bringing little children to him, meaning Jesus, in order that he might touch them, bless them. And the disciples spoke sternly to those who wanted to have their children blessed by Jesus. But when Jesus saw this, he was, say it with me, indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Well, there's a lot there in that short little uh, sentence uh, or paragraph uh, about Jesus. And, and so what is the kingdom of God? Uh, what is Jesus upset about? And, and what does that have to do with us today? Well, first of all, we have to ask the question, why was Jesus indignant? I mean, what's going on? And this is the thing that the church has to wrestle with um, and has been wrestling with for thousands of years. And the reason Jesus was indignant is because Jesus' followers, that's what a disciple means, an apprentice of Jesus, interfered with the manifestation of his love. There were people trying to come into the presence of God. And the very people who were there to make that happen, his disciples, were doing the opposite. Have you ever found yourself in that place at work where you're supposed to be doing one thing and accidentally you find yourself doing the exact opposite thing of what you were paid to do? And that's what's going on with Jesus' followers, the disciples. And you see this over and over in the Gospels uh, where they just don't understand who Jesus is. They don't understand the wideness of his love, the inclusive nature of, of what he's doing. So the context is what is the big deal about Jesus and the children? Why is this such a big deal? Why do, why do people talk about it? Why do churches talk about it? Well, here's the thing that you may not know, and it's certainly almost 180 degrees from where we are in Edmond. In uh, Edmond, uh, I don't know, how many of you all uh, were at a child's event yesterday? Any of you all? Soccer game, basketball game, lacrosse tournament. I mean, around here, right, children, whatever the children are doing is what the family's doing in Edmond on a Saturday, by and large, right? In Jesus' time, children were considered non-persons. They didn't exist. They had no rights. Uh, They weren't to speak. They weren't to be around adults. They certainly weren't supposed to be around men. Uh, They were bothered. And um, basically, they were like property. You simply owned them. And that, that's just the way it was. It was a completely different culture than it is today. And so it's, it's not a straight pull and say, oh, well, Jesus acted like that with those kids then. It's the same today. In some ways, it's, it's the opposite of that. We have to just kind of own that. You see, in Jesus' culture, children were not allowed to disturb the teacher and the rabbi students. Now, this is a, a problem for a couple of reasons. Uh, because, as I said, children had no power, no status, no identity outside what they knew as the paterfamilias. Now, the paterfamilias is this culture where the father decided who was in the family. And I don't mean like who gets to sit at the kids' table or who gets to sit at the, uh, at the adult table. I mean if dad ever decided that he was tired of you, he put you outside to die. He had that power. You cross Dad. There you go. And that's why there's so many scriptures about honor your father and mother uh, or, you know, be stoned to death. It was a very different sort of culture. The father decided who was in, whether he wanted you at birth. He'd look at the baby and go, hmm, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, and with multiple wives, right, this is still a polygamous society, society. They had to decide how many kids they could feed, which ones looked healthy, which ones could help, um, you know, farm and do those sorts of things. And so it was a very harsh sort of time. And so children had no standing, and it was completely up to the father who was in and who was out and for how long. And this is where it gets really interesting to me, that those same children belonged to their father and remained subject to his authority for life until the father died. So um, in my life today, if we were to try to translate that, I would still be doing what my 83-year-old father would tell me to do. Um, period. My life would not be my own until he passed. That's the way it worked in that culture. And so for the idea that a mom or a dad would actually dare to bring a child into the presence of the rabbi and the presence of the master uh, was mind-blowing. And so the disciples were simply following the culture of the day, which is keep these kids away. Now that's a problem for two reasons. One, the the children don't have access, but also that meant that by and large the women would have no access to Jesus either. Because women were the primary uh, caregivers, almost exclusive caregivers of children. And so if the children couldn't be with Jesus, women couldn't be with Jesus. Does it make sense? And so the culture was super exclusive in a male-only, male-dominated culture. So Jesus is now redirecting his adult male disciples who are shoving away non-persons. In that culture, women and children. didn't have anything to do with them. Well, the point is this of this story, Jesus is warning the disciples that they must give up their normal human calculations of greatness, of the cultural norms of their day, if they are to participate in heaven. Now, heaven is a loaded term, of course. It means the rule of God. It means those, those spaces in, in all time, across all time, where what God wants done is done. And so if you want to be a part of what God is doing, then we have to say, okay, what... What are we doing that might be less than welcoming everybody that might want to come to him? And in case we missed it, this is actually the second sort of iteration of this theme. If you go back one chapter into Mark 9, it says this. Then they came to Capernaum. You'll remember that Capernaum is a little town uh, north of the Sea of Galilee. And when Jesus was in the house, he asked the disciples, Now, what were you arguing about on the way? What were you talking about? But they were silent because they knew that on the way they had argued with one another about who was the what? Greatest, yeah. It is still a problem, this power and control issue with humanity. They wanted to know who was better than who, and Jesus sits them down, and he calls them around him, and he says to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus is taking the power structure of that time, and quite frankly, our time today, and he's putting it on its head. He says, if you want to be Big in the kingdom, then you serve others. So he takes a little child, a non person, one with no standing, and he put it among them and he took it in his arms and he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me but the one who sent me, meaning God the Father himself. Now you'll remember that in this culture, God is so holy, so other that you could not say his name out loud. You couldn't say Yahweh nor write it in that culture. And so Jesus would say, the one who sent me. You see, this is um, a really important piece. And that is, what is going on? Who doesn't come here? Who is on the outside? Who might we accidentally say, I'm not sure this place is for you? And and to be fair, it's, it's it's not the kids we ought to be worrying about. You'll you'll have to search your own heart and your own soul about the people that you might not think should be a part of our faith family. And then we have to rethink that, and we have to rethink that, we have to rethink that, because Jesus is saying every person you think is on the outside, every person that you think is a non-person is a person that I love, and they're welcome. And to do that isn't easy. It requires sacrifice. Now you, you say, well, well what, is, what is sacrifice? Well, obviously, sacrifice is Jesus on the cross. Yes, of course. The ultimate sacrifice is very life for all of humanity. But it's also a number of other sacrifices before he gets there. It's the sacrifice of serving his mom and dad in the home. It's the sacrifice of serving his brothers and sisters uh, at the carpentry shop. It's the, it's the sacrifice of serving, not doing what he wants, but serving his community. It's the sacrifice of healing the sick. All throughout his life, it's sacrifice. And what we mean by sacrifice is giving up something of value, something good. Right? It's not just trading bad things for good things. Sacrifice is giving up something good for something what? Something better. Something of greater value. So sacrifice is giving up something of value for something of greater value. And we're going to be talking about what that looks like over the next few weeks. So our question in our context is this. In what ways are we, perhaps accidentally or unknowingly or we're unaware, that we are hindering the manifestation of Jesus' love for the world? How are we doing that? Is there anything about what we do or how we do it that hinders Jesus' love for the world? What gets in the way of that? Our second question then is, in what ways are we called by Jesus to sacrifice for the very transformation of the world? Now, you might want to say, well, I don't think he is. Well, we have to rethink that. There is there's nothing that happens in this life of value that doesn't require sacrifice. Those of you who are married understand this. Those of you who have children understand this. Those of you who have received a degree understand this or, or graduated um, from any institution. You, you understand this. It requires sacrifice. The very best things, the biggest things in our life require sacrifice. And you might even say the bigger the sacrifice, the bigger the outcome. I'm always a little scared to preach on this Sunday because I know that there are thousands of people running the marathon, some of whom have trained and sacrificed greatly, and others who just woke up and said, I think I'll try it. (laughs) Woe to those who woke up and said, I think I'll try it. It's very dangerous. For your health. Because they didn't consider the sacrifice and the training necessary to finish the race. A- amen? Right? I mean, it's a very scary thing when we think that what God's calling us to won't require sacrifice, and then it always does. It's much better to own that up front and prepare for that sacrifice, to think it through, to pray it through, and then to step into it a step at a time, a day at a time, a mile at a time, rather than thinking, oh, that's probably okay. You see, the, the disciple, the dis, this disciplined life, which is where that word comes from, is one that asks Jesus to show us a step, and then the next step, and the next step, that we sacrifice something of value, of real value, so that something greater can happen. So, here in the local church, what does that look like? Um, and for us, uh, in particular, what does that look like? Our situation on Wednesdays, uh, I would submit to you, um, is hindering our ability... To reach youth and children. Now, it didn't, it, that wasn't the case a few years ago. It wasn't the case uh, a decade ago. But now, where we are with the growth that we've done, it's a different day. So when it comes to youth space, I, I want you to see what happens here on Wednesday nights. Uh, at 6.30, the kids uh, finish. These are some of our youth uh, on a Wednesday night. They finish up dinner. And then they start to walk over to Frontier Elementary because we don't have a single room here big enough to hold them other than this room uh, or the chapel, depending on the numbers. And so they they start walking over. Now, this was the nicest day we'd had in April. We rent the gym because in the winter, we don't rent it in the summer because we can be outside. But through the winter, we don't have a space big enough to hold them indoors. And, and God bless the sponsors that make the walk each and every week with nearly 100 so is this kids. Is the first time you all have walked over to the school? No. How often do you do that? Every,
2: every week. <laughs>
0: is it always nice and sunny like this?
2: No. Sometimes it's freezing or raining.
0: It's not bad. But we love it. Yeah? Oh, yeah. We love the kids. I do realize that if we actually built the building, it would be back there. We will have already. I love it. that. Yeah. we're almost there. And so, God bless Kara Jernigan and the folks at Frontier. I hope that you'll uh, say a prayer or say something nice on social media about them because they are allowing us to reach more kids. Well, it only took us two minutes and forty-two seconds. No kidding. One to the other. That's kind of interesting. We're Acts 2.42, so, um, you know, I don't know. I try to use it as often as I can. They devote themselves to apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. And we love kids, right? And so once you get in in the building, you say, oh, isn't that great? We rent each room we use by the hour. It costs us almost $500 a week to to be able to make the walk. And so when we get in there, uh, I want to thank Carrie Lawson and her group. They're praying in the hallway because that way we don't have to rent a room. So they're in the hall. Uh, and then there's another group uh, that's across the hall uh, next to some lovely boxes, I'm sure, is helping them pray. Um, you know, and, and they're praying over the school. They're, they're praying over teachers. This was during the walkout. They were praying for our legislators and the teachers and that God's will would be done. Uh, we also have boys. Um, they're praying. And uh, I don't know if you've ever worked with sixth grade boys, uh, but non-confined space isn't normally the best way to keep their attention. All right. But but they're doing it. I hope you'll say thank you to God and thank you to the volunteers uh, when you see them. Um, Here's another group praying next to another group praying, Um, and and I want you I want you to get a sense of the amazing ministry uh, that Jared and Melissa have been leading and growing uh, in this way. Uh, This is Bryce Lawson praying with his boys uh, in the other hallway.
1: Help us be alive to others in the world.
0: You see the feet at the top how many of you are super brave and love to pray out loud right i've got one i got one future preacher here on row three um but can you imagine how difficult that would be with group after group after group trying to do ministry in the halls and they're doing it amazingly they're overcoming the obstacle and i'm so proud of them Will, will you give a hand to all these people doing this awesome ministry each week that's awesome that's great stuff so, um, you might say, well, yeah, we love kids, but what about adults? What about adults? Oh, we got plenty of room for adults, and we put them in the five-year-old room, and just squish them in there. Uh, that's FPU, Financial Peace University, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to heat and cool a room uh, that's meant for, you know, 10, five-year-olds, and just put in a whole bunch of big people, Right? Or, this is, my, this is my favorite one really though, we do, if you're here and you have a child zero to three, we have an awesome nursery. It's great. People love it. They've got the big screen. We've got a nursing room back over here. I mean, zero to three, we are rocking it. It is good stuff. So much so that on Wednesday nights, we put our older members um, in there because that's the only space we have. So this, this year, for 24 weeks, uh, this group met in the nursery. Because that was the only room here on a Wednesday night where they could meet. Um, and so I, I just love them so much. Thank you, Bill Blue and the whole group for the disciple class. Here, here it is from another angle. Uh, you see the, the place where they change the diapers. It's great. It's wonderful. They just love it there. Um, so I, I don't know. I think we could do better. What do you think? You think we can do better than this? I think we can. Now, here's, here's the thing. Even with all that going on, people continue to join our church. People continue to come and find God here. They come and find life here. They come and find friends here. We have 400 new members since we opened this building three years ago. That, I mean, that's, that's a whole new congregation. 400 new folks. And the reason that's important is because the Barna Research Group reports that 94% of people today who make a decision to follow Jesus do so by their what? birthday. Eighteenth birthday. That is staggering, isn't it? And so you may wonder why it is that Andy and I jump up and down and hoop and holler every time we have an adult baptism. When somebody who's over 18 gives their life to Jesus, it's a big deal, friends. Because there's only 6% of the population who do it. You're in the single digits. So it is an uphill climb once folks go to college. Now, you may say, well, I didn't really come back to church till after college. That's true, but you came back to church, right? That's the difference. Now, the culture shifted to where a lot of folks never have a church experience, and so when they go through college, they don't come back to church. They've never been to church. So it's absolutely critical to our world, to our community, that we are able to reach folks 0 to 18. And and I'm not promising you that that they're going to be at church uh, every Sunday during college. I wasn't. And, and I mean, if you were, talk to me later, give me some tips. But a lot of folks, you know, I, I hear this all the time. I don't know, is my child lost their faith in college, whatever. Normally what happens, not always, but normally if you had a good, strong faith development, zero to 18, you go to college, you learn some other things, you, you think through some other things, you get married and then you have a little one and you're like, oh, we need to go to church. Because we need some free childcare for an hour, so we can get some rest. <laughs> I don't know what the preacher's saying, but I'm going to sleep for an hour, and the kid's going to be in the nursery. And then you come back, and then the kids start asking questions that you don't have answers to, and you think, well, maybe I should learn something too. And it gets better. So I want you to know, on Friday night, just just you know, 48 hours ago,
1: I'm Kelly Davis. Uh, this is my lovely wife, Erica, and my whole family. My daughter, Alyssa. Grayson, Madison, and Camilla. Uh, this is the seats that we normally sit at uh, when we come on Friday nights for One Church. I was originally raised Southern Baptist, um, and I met Erica, and Erica was raised as a Catholic. Um, we got married, and those lifestyles kind of didn't necessarily match faith wise, uh, a little bit of a difference. So um, we were really excited to be able to come here to One Church and actually kind of grow together as a family and kind of start our own religious journey instead of kind of what we had been raised into
2: so we had stopped going to church for a while we kind of had a bad experience and so we just stopped going anywhere for years and then um ryan had been telling me about how he really found a place he liked and how you know it was laid back and everybody you know made him feel welcome and we should really check it out and so that's really what got us here the first time so I think it's a little bit different because we have so many kids and so we wanted a place where everybody felt like they were comfortable and welcome and wanted to come back and we didn't have to drag them kicking and screaming every Sunday to come to church and so we came here and the very first time after we left I asked on the way home if they wanted to come back and every one of them said yes. They enjoyed it and really liked it and to this day everybody still likes it. And. Madison even told me the yet yeah, on Wednesday that Wednesday was one of her favorite days because it was a church day so I thought that was pretty special too. It's
1: yeah. important for me to be to be baptized here because I feel like I found a family here and I want to be part of this church. I was hesitant before. I came mostly because Erica and Ryan had told me that, you know, it was a good church and that I would enjoy it, but I started coming to Alpha on Wednesdays and I really I clicked with all the people there. I felt like I've found a purpose and a family that for me spiritually so I want to be a part of this church and I want to kind of continue to grow in the church and expand what we do right now we're just kind of scratching the surface we've come to Alpha but I want to continue to do more with the church
0: so on Friday I changed my schedule and I snuck into one church and I sat down in the back because I want to know how you people live and uh And I watched, and Kelly came up, and Andy took water from the Jordan River from our trip last June, and he baptized him, one of those 6%. And I looked down, kind of wiped my eyes, and I looked up, and there was this huge drop of water right here on Kelly's face. I don't know if that was Andy's drop or whether he was crying, but it was awesome. It was awesome. There are two things in that video I want you to know about. One is that he mentioned Alpha on Wednesday nights. Alpha meets out in the portables in a 1,500 square foot mobile home that we dropped out here because we couldn't afford to build more. They were our temporary buildings 10 years ago. They're still our temporary buildings, (laughs) right? But it's, it's, it's formative. What happens here on a Wednesday makes a difference. It changes people's lives. And I don't know if you noticed this, but their oldest daughter, Alyssa, she was in the first video of the kids walking over. And she had a good experience at youth. And then mom and dad said, how was youth? And she was like, great, you should come. And then Alpha started later. The children came before the parents. And in Edmund, that's the way it is. I can't tell you how many people i met. And I'll say, well, where do you go to church? And they'll say the name of a church. And then they'll say this to me. We just go there because of the kids. It's where the kids want to go. So we go there. I don't know that we'll go there after they graduate from high school, but that's where we go now because that's where they want to go. Is that true? If you, if, you, if you talk to your friends, isn't that true what they say? No, I just go where the kids want to go. So in this thing called sacrifice, um, some of you, as we, as we get ready uh, to build a $3 million facility uh, just south of here towards the school that looks fun, compelling space for the kids, uh, you may be one of those people um, that have come um, in the church Uh, in the last few years, Uh, more than 400 of you now. So here's our calling, our action steps, if you will. Um, First of all, it's to remember and and to celebrate the sacrifice that people made uh, in a three-year commitment from 2010 to 2013, and so to enter this sanctuary. Um, And if that's you, I want to say thank you. Thank you for that. Many of you were a part of that. Uh, it was incredible. Uh, we were worshiping uh, right around 400. Now we worship more than 600. Um, really just because we needed the space. Now, um, some of you were, have been here with me longer. Uh, and from 2004 to 2006, uh, you made a sacrifice to pay off that other building and to build this building. If you have come to our church after 2006, raise your hand. It's a difference maker, isn't it? So everybody who's come since 2004, 2006 are here on the shoulders of the people who made this happen. Does it make sense? They sacrificed for you that you might be here, and I want to say thank you, thank you. And there are even a fewer, um, and so those 2004, 2006 uh, built this sanctuary. Uh, you can see uh, my little Noah right here. He's at Wichita State now. There's John Mark. He's at OCU now. Uh, this is Reverend Tate. He's senior pastor over at Quail Springs now, right? There's Tim Hattican. There's Tim Hattican. He never moves. He's right there. Right? We love we love that. Right? That's awesome. Right? And and a few more were here from 2001 when we chartered to 2003. Um, we were, we were worshiping at Shine Middle School uh, for five years. Um, and in 1999, we gathered at the corner at Penn and Covell and we prayed that you would be here. We prayed that you'd be here. Uh, that's my oldest right there, John Mark. There's Ben Davis. There's Paul. There's Paul. Right? And there were people that prayed that you would be here. And you're here now. And we stand on their shoulders. And you say, well, what did they sacrifice? What did these people sacrifice over all these years? Well, some people um, here, uh, they gave a motorcycle. They had a Harley that was worth some money. um, And their wife hated them riding it. And they fought about it all the time. They're like, I don't need that headache. So they gave it to the church. Uh, And we sold it. uh, And we built this building with it. Uh, Another guy um, used to argue with his wife about his blue Corvette. He thought he was a little old to be driving that around uh, with his uh, T-tops. So he gave it to the church. And we sold it and we paid off the land. Uh, another person sold their airplane. Um, they said, here, you know, we're tired of the hangar rent. And so um, we're about to move and, you know, that it's, we don't want to fool with that. So they gave us an airplane to get into here. Uh, Other folks uh, gave up a vacation or two. Other folks worked an extra job. Other people gave stocks that appreciated and and would pay their capital gains. And so this is is the way they made this happen, that you would be here. For real. I mean, I know that I may be one of the only people that knows this, sees this. But it's powerful to me, friends. It's powerful to me. The people changed their lives. They sacrificed for you. And for me. And for God. And for the people moving into La Sonata and Scissortail Landing and... Um, settlers Crossing, Southerly Farms. You see, the something of greater value... This, this is all value, isn't it? But the something of greater value is you. People thought at one time that you were worth the sacrifice. And I think you are. You are. And God is pleased with that. Hinder not the little children. Hinder not the people new to town. Hinder not the people moving in around us. So first of all, I hope that you remember... And one of the things that I love about our church is that we don't have any big badges that say, hey, I'm a charter member. Look at my parking spot. None of that happens around here. We don't have any, you know, snooty people. We don't have anybody that's like, hey, you know, show me my props because I've been here a long time. Most people have no idea who's been here one week or who's been here almost 20 years. Isn't that true? You don't know. That's why you don't greet. You're like, I don't know who's a guest and who's real. Like, like who, you know, who's, who's been around. Isn't that true? You don't know because we're just family together. And that's beautiful. So one is to remember. The second thing is to respond, to pray now about the sacrifice God is asking you for someone else who will come and be transformed uh, years from now. What, what does God have you to do? There's, there's not a direct ask today other than to pray, to ask God, okay, so other sacrifice that we'd be here today, what, what might I do now so that somebody three, four, five years from now um, could be here too? What, what might God want me to do? And, and here's the thing about Edmund that I know and you know. But you might not know this. During the school year, this little road that leads between here and Frontier, there's a whole bunch of cheaters, a whole bunch of cutters that skip the carpool line, skip the bus line, and they cut through our church. And they do it fast. They need to slow down. You know what else you might not know? That in Edmund, Oklahoma, if you do a psychographic study, what we know is that 30% of adults in Edmond self-report that they cannot say no to their children. You believe that? They can't say no to their kids. That's almost one out of three. Now, we can bemoan that and say, parents these days. Or we can leverage it for Jesus. (laughs) Right? So, imagine. Car one goes by the brand new children's building with the big, beautiful red slide. Car number two goes by with the big, beautiful red slide. And we're slowing them down. I think we might put a speed bump right before that so they have to, like, take a long look. (laughs) Right? And in car number three, there's going to be a child. Might be a first grader. Might be a fifth grader. Might be a three-year-old who just dropped sister off at church, at at Frontier. And you know what that kid in the backseat's going to say? Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. I want to go there. That looks fun. And one out of three can't say no. <laughs> and they'll come. And they'll slide down the slider, or they'll play basketball or they'll, they'll do that. And God will be pleased. Hinder not the little children. Now, in these sorts of times and seasons, I don't want to be insensitive. There are some people here That are going through a very hard time. And they're like, look, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want you to talk to me about this because I'm having a very, very difficult time in my own life. I need somebody to sacrifice for me. I get that. You might say, you know, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through. And that's true. I don't. I don't. But I want to tell you about a story about a family in our own church that's been going through a really hard time. And I want you to know their response. This is Kennedy Taylor. Uh, she's nine. She passed away last week. Uh, she's in New Mexico. Um, she is a member of uh, Steve and Michelle Winters here on the back row, their family. Uh, Michelle's taken a strong leadership role for us uh, in, uh, in the For the Kids campaign. And I called to check on them as they were headed out to New Mexico. Um, and I was like, hey, how are you doing? And, and what Michelle said to me, I was glad I was sent down. I don't, I don't know that I'll ever forget. She goes, Pastor Mark? This is why For the Kids is so important to us. It's so important. Because what got her mom, Kristen, through, what got Kennedy through, was that she knew Jesus. That she knew, uh, as, as she was about to lose her battle with a very rare form of cancer, that she was going to Jesus. It brought great comfort to the family. It brought great comfort to the girl herself, uh, from the time she started her chemo treatments at 7 to the time she passed. At nine. And so I want you to, to hear the family's response. The family wrote, Kennedy Taylor Woods was born April 3, 2009 in Farmington, New Mexico. Our little angel on earth, Kennedy, gained her heavenly wings on Friday, April 20th, after a brave 18-month fight against Ewing sarcoma. The light and love of the Holy Spirit shine bright in Kennedy's life. In her nine short years, she touched so many people with her contagious smile and her heartfelt tugs. The lives she touched during her journey will forever be changed. Given Kennedy's happy nature, we know without doubt. Kennedy danced when she left her hurting earthly body behind. We get new bodies and entered into the presence of Jesus Christ, her Savior. She knew this at nine, friends. At seven, eight, nine, she knew Jesus. Kennedy's family asked in remembrance of this precious soul, you take time to talk to the little ones in your life about the love of Christ and the hope we have in him. What we do makes a difference. It makes a difference to the children. It makes a difference to their families. It makes a difference. And God is glorified. I want you to see that whatever you're going through, we all have a response to make. And I just want you to know, I was so moved and touched, Michelle, um, by your response. Even in the hardest of trials. Amen.